And I will close by reiterating the central allegation of our indictments that there were multiple systematic efforts to interfere in our election. And that allegation deserves the attention of every American. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Oh, no. Thank you for speaking up. Finally. Robert Mueller. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, in Palinville, New York, on WLPP, Grand Rapids, WPRR, just in Amash country, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, on KPSQ, in Seattle, on KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950 KTNF, amongst others. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day. For your convenience, on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Well, Robert Mueller speaks, finally, if only to mark his official retirement from the uh, job of special counsel at the Department of Justice during about an eight-minute announcement from the DOJ on, uh, on Wednesday morning, where he took no questions, but he did note in no uncertain terms, at least in my opinion, that it is now the job of Congress to determine accountability for the president of the United States in uh, cases of obstruction of justice. As uh, he clearly spelled out in his report, he emphasized his two year probe very specifically did not clear Donald Trump of that very serious crime that he would have. If he could have, but he could not. We will share Mueller's statement in full, uh, as well a response from the House Judiciary Chair today, whether all of this will finally lead to an an official impeachment inquiry or not, or even just testimony before Congress by the now former special counsel Robert Mueller. And we will be joined for analysis by Heather Digby-Parton on all of this and more today momentarily. But first, very uh, quickly here. We may finally be nearing the end of a remarkable record run of tornadoes across the nation as of Thursday. 
at least an end for now, Desi Doyen, and that's yeah. finally some good news. You you look like you're dubious. Well, it's it's <laughs> the end of this section of yeah. extreme weather. I have a feeling that it is not going to uh, improve over the summer as things heat up, literally and there figuratively. Forecasters with the National Weather Service said Wednesday that the conditions that have spawned tornadoes and thunderstorms across the country appear to be easing and that the extreme weather might fade at least for a little while before the weekend. Uh, but more than 37 million people, they warn, still faced a, quote, enhanced risk for severe storms on Wednesday and into Thursday, according to the Weather Services Storm uh, Prediction Center, which posted the advisory for parts of Arkansas, Delaware, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Maryland, Missouri, New Jersey, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Texas, and West Virginia, all under enhanced risk for severe storms. Another 48 million people were at, quote, slight risk, including in cities like Cincinnati, Indianapolis, New York. The atmospheric calming will take hold after a tragic, protracted stretch of storms. Tuesday was the record-setting, it was the uh, record-tying the day before, but now the record-setting 12th consecutive day when the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, received at least eight reports of tornadoes. And uh, tornadoes have been linked to at least seven deaths this month, pushing the year's tornado fatality toll to 38. Luckily, those 38 were not killed in a terror attack, so we don't actually have to do a damn thing about it, apparently. No matter how much and for how long climate scientists have been warning about this sort of increase in extreme weather events due to climate change caused by the man-made burning of fossil fuels, researchers have found that tornadoes are increasingly clustered now in short periods of time. Patrick Marsh, uh, the uh, warning coordination meteorologist at the Storm Prediction Center and co-author of a study on the subject, said we are seeing more tornadoes on days in which we see tornadoes. On Tuesday, in fact, there were 19 tornado reports. That sounds terrible, but in fact, it's an improvement from the 55 reports of tornadoes the day before. Some of the worst weather on Tuesday happened uh, in the evening in Kansas, where at least a dozen people were injured in the area around Lawrence, which is the uh, home of the University of Kansas. There was substantial devastation in uh, some of the surrounding communities. Although the country might see fewer tornadoes and severe thunderstorms in the coming days, flooding is nonetheless expected to continue to remain a risk in a bunch of states, including Arkansas and Oklahoma. Some 77 river gauges, all of them in the Midwest and the South, were in, quote, major flooding stage as of Wednesday, according to the government. Now, in any other year, at any other time, at least under any other president, this month or more of unceasing and deadly weather, as we have seen, and climate-related disasters uh, raking much of the central U.S. This would be just about all we were talking about with discussions of uh, what the hell we were going to do about it. But apparently now is not such a time. Apparently now we are dealing with a scofflaw president who, unless he is held accountable somehow in some way, will continue to make just about everything in this nation and indeed on this planet 
much worse. To that end, on Wednesday morning, Robert Mueller, the special counsel on uh, on Wednesday, declined to clear President Donald Trump of obstruction of justice in his first public characterization of his two-year-long investigation of Russia's interference in the 2016 presidential election. He also said that while Justice Department policy prohibits charging a sitting president with a crime, the Constitution provides for another process to formally accuse a sitting president of wrongdoing. That would be a clear reference to the ability of Congress to begin impeachment proceedings. Although his remarks closely matched statements that are contained in his 448-page report, Mueller's portrayal of Trump's action Uh, Actions, I should say, was not as benign, not by a long shot, as Trump's attorney general, William Barr's characterizations, which appeared to claim that Trump committed no wrongdoing despite the multiple repeated episodes of obstruction of justice that are detailed in Mueller's report by Donald Trump. In his rare and remarkable public statement on Wednesday, Mueller said his investigation could not clear Trump and that charging the president was not an option that his office could even consider due to that existing DOJ guideline, which did not allow him to charge a sitting president. He said, if we had the uh, confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime, he said, as he announced he was closing the special counsel's office and resigning from the Justice Department Mueller delivered a roadmap of how the investigation played out and the possible role that Congress could and arguably should still play in holding Trump accountable. The special counsel highlighted what he wanted the public to take away from his report, saying, I hope and expect this will be the only time I will speak to you in this manner and that it's important the office's written work speaks for itself. Here's Bob Mueller's statement in full on Wednesday morning from the Department of Justice. Uh, Good morning, everyone, and thank you for being here. Two years ago, the acting attorney general asked me to serve as special counsel, and he created the special counsel's office. The appointment order directed the office to investigate Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. This included investigating any links or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign. Now, I have not spoken publicly during our investigation. I'm speaking out today because our investigation is complete. The Attorney General has made the report on our investigation largely public. We are formally closing the Special Counsel's office, and as well, I'm resigning from the Department of Justice to return to private life. I'll make a few remarks about the results of our work, but beyond these few remarks, it is important that the office's written work speak for itself. Let me begin where the appointment order begins, and that is interference in the 2016 presidential election. As alleged by the grand jury in an indictment, Russian intelligence officers who were part of the Russian military launched a concerted attack on our political system. The indictment alleges that they used sophisticated cyber techniques to hack into computers and networks used by the Clinton campaign. 
They stole private information and then released that information through fake online identities and through the organization WikiLeaks. The releases were designed and timed to interfere with our election and to damage a presidential candidate. And at the same time as the grand jury alleged in a separate indictment, a private Russian entity engaged in a social media operation where Russian citizens posed as Americans in order to influence an, an election. These indictments contain allegations and we are not co commenting on the guilt or the innocence of any specific defendant. Every defendant is presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. The indictments allege and the other activities in our report describe efforts to interfere in our political system. They needed to be investigated and understood, and that is among the reasons why the Department of Justice established our office. That is also a reason we investigated efforts to obstruct the investigation. The matters we investigated were of paramount importance. It was critical for us to obtain full and accurate information from every person we questioned. When a subject of an investigation obstructs that investigation or lies to investigators, it strikes at the core of their government's effort to find the truth and hold wrongdoers accountable. Let me say a word about the report. The report has two parts, addressing the two main issues we were asked to investigate. The first volume of the report details numerous efforts emanating from Russia to influence the election. This volume includes a discussion of the Trump campaign's response to this activity, as well as our conclusion that there was insufficient evidence to charge a broader conspiracy. And in the second volume, the report describes the results and analysis of our obstruction of justice investigation involving the president. The order appointing me special counsel authorized us to investigate actions that could obstruct the investigation. And we conducted that investigation and we kept the office of the acting attorney general apprised of the progress of our work. And as set forth in the report after that investigation, if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime. The introduction to the volume two of our report explains that decision. It explains that under long-standing department policy, a president cannot be charged with a federal crime while he is in office. That is unconstitutional. Even if the charge is kept under seal and hidden from public view, that too is prohibited. The special counsel's office is part of the Department of Justice, and by regulation, it was bound by that department policy. Charging the president with a crime was therefore not an option we could consider. The department's written opinion explaining the policy makes several important points that further informed our handling of the obstruction investigation. Those points are summarized in our report, and I will describe two of them for you. First, the opinion explicitly permits the investigation of a sitting president, 
because it is important to preserve evidence while memories are fresh and documents available. Among other things, that evidence could be used if there were co-conspirators who could be charged now. And second, the opinion says that the Constitution requires a process other than the criminal justice system to formally accuse a sitting president of wrongdoing. And beyond department policy, we were guided by principles of fairness. It would be unfair to potentially it would be unfair to potentially accuse somebody of a crime when there can be no court resolution of the actual charge. So that was Justice Department policy. Those were the principles under which we operated. And from them, we concluded that we would, would not reach a determination one way or the other about whether the president committed a crime. That is the office's, that is the office's final position and we will not comment on any other conclusions or hypotheticals about the president. We conducted an independent criminal investigation and reported the results to the Attorney General, as required by department regulations. The Attorney General then concluded that it was appropriate to provide our report to Congress and to the American people. At one point in time, I requested that certain portions of the report be released the Attorney General preferred to, make that, preferred to make the entire report public all at once, and we appreciate that the Attorney General made the report largely public, and I certainly do not question the Attorney General's good faith in that decision. Now, I hope and expect this to be the only time that I will speak to you in this manner. I am making that decision myself. No one has told me whether I can or should testify or speak further about this matter. There has been discussion about an appearance before Congress. Any testimony from this office would not go beyond our report. It contains our findings and analysis and the reasons for the decisions we made. We chose those words carefully and the work speaks for itself. And the report is my testimony. I would not provide information beyond that which is already public in any appearance before Congress. In addition, access to our underlying work product is being decided in a process that does, that does not involve our office. So beyond what I've said here today and what is contained in our written work, I do not believe it is appropriate for me to speak further about the investigation or to comment on the actions of the Justice Department or Congress. And it's for that reason I will not be taking questions today as well. Now before I step away, I want to thank the attorneys, the FBI agents, the analysts, the professional staff who helped us conduct this investigation in a fair and independent manner. These individuals who spent nearly two years with the special counsel's office were of the highest integrity. And I will close by reiterating the central allegation of our indictments that there were multiple systematic efforts to interfere in our election. And that allegation deserves the attention of every American. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. 
That was uh, Robert Mueller, special counsel, now former special counsel, speaking for the first time before, during, or after his two-year probe into Russian interference in the 2016 election and Donald Trump's apparent obstruction of that investigation pointing towards Congress for the next step in this. We'll speak with Heather Digby-Parton about this shortly. But shortly after Mueller spoke today, U.S. House Judiciary Committee Chair Jerry Nadler who heads the House committee where official impeachment inquiries would begin, if they ever do. He offered his own response to Mueller's statement after several weeks of hoping to call the former Republican FBI director, Mueller, in for open testimony as Democrats in the House debate whether to begin an an official impeachment inquiry or not. Nadler has reportedly been in favor of such an effort, while House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has pushed for continuing investigations that may or may not eventually lead to such an inquiry. In his statement, however, Nadler was as direct as I have heard him in his accusations against the president and his uh, multiple lies throughout this entire affair, as highlighted yet again in the Mueller report and in Trump's false claims about that report after its redacted release to the public. Here's Nadler today. Although Department of Justice policy prevented the special counsel from bringing criminal charges against the president, the special counsel has clearly demonstrated that President Trump is lying. He is lying about the special counsel's findings, lying about the testimony of key witnesses in the special counsel's report, and above all, lying in saying that the special counsel found no obstruction and no collusion. In his statement this morning, Special Counsel Mueller reaffirmed his report. It found substantial evidence that Russia attacked our political system, that the Trump campaign benefited from Russian interference, that Trump and those around him repeatedly welcomed Russia's support, and that throughout the subsequent investigation, Trump sought to obstruct Mueller time and time again. Special Counsel Mueller, today repeated three central points, which are critical for the American people. One, the special counsel did not exonerate the President of the United States of obstruction of justice. Two, obstruction of justice, of which special counsel Mueller found substantial evidence, is a serious crime that strikes at the core of our justice system. Three, the Constitution points to Congress to take action to hold the president accountable for his misconduct. Unfortunately, Special Counsel Mueller was unable to pursue criminal charges against the president because Department of Justice policy prevents a sitting president from being prosecuted. That policy, in my opinion, is wrong, but it prevented the Special Counsel from pursuing justice to the fullest extent possible. Therefore, as Mueller again highlighted this morning, It falls to Congress to respond to the crimes, lies, and other wrongdoing of President Trump. We will do so. Make no mistake, no one, not even the President of the United States, is above the law. We will see. That was uh, House Judiciary Chair Jerry Nadler uh, in Washington, D.C., today responding after Robert Mueller's uh, comments at the Justice Department. Nadler went on to take a few questions about whether they would uh, whether Democrats would proceed with impeachment or whether they would subpoena Mueller to come in and testify to his panel. He sort of 
dodged both questions, uh, but Heather Digby Parton is straight ahead. She will dodge no questions. I promise. <laughs> That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. She's watching the detectives. Yeah. Oh, he's so cute. Yes, she is. She's Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, in his first and only public remarks before, during, or after his two-year investigation into alleged Russian interference in the 2016 election and obstruction of that probe by the president of the United States. Special Counsel Robert Mueller made clear on Wednesday, or at least as clear as Mueller ever is on anything, that his office could not clear President Trump of obstructing justice asserting that federal prosecutors cannot accuse the commander-in-chief of a crime while suggesting, however, that Congress still may do so. Standing alone on stage in a room used for news conferences on the Justice Department's seventh floor, Mueller said that if his office, quote, had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so before going on to note that the Constitution requires a process other than the criminal justice system to formally accuse the president of wrongdoing. Joining us now for Insight, someone who has been watching these detectives for quite some time, we turn to our old friend Heather Digby Parton, who uh, we always turn to on days like this, it seems, to help put it all in perspective. Heather, of course, is the much-beloved longtime blogger known simply as Digby to many on the internets, where she is the proprietor of the long-running Hullabaloo blog and a regular contributor to Salon.com and also the winner of the Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism and someone who has been on standby for us every damned week nearly for the past month to offer analysis on whether whenever Mueller finally testified to Congress. Welcome back, Heather Digby Parton. Oh, thanks for having me, Brad. We have been uh, repeatedly uh, planning to have you on whenever Mueller finally testified on all of this. But week after week, that did not happen. And then Mueller, suddenly, with no warning, 
spoke today by himself, taking no questions from the podium at the uh, State Department, announcing the official close of his two-year probe. So thank you for jumping in with, like, no notice to uh, join us today. Uh, First, uh, Heather, let me play what I think is the central part of Mueller's announcement today, Uh, and then I want to get your comment on that and, and other takeaways that you've got today. These indictments contain allegations, and we are not commenting on the guilt or the innocence of any specific defendant. Every defendant is presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. The matters we investigated were of paramount importance. It was critical for us to obtain full and accurate information from every person we questioned. When a subject of an investigation obstructs that investigation, or lies to investigators, it strikes at the core of their government's effort to find the truth and hold wrongdoers accountable. The report describes the results and analysis of our obstruction of justice investigation involving the president. And as set forth in the report after that investigation, if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime. The introduction to the volume two of our report explains that decision. It explains that under long-standing department policy, a president cannot be charged with a federal crime while he is in office. That is unconstitutional. Even if the charge is kept under seal and hidden from public view, that too is prohibited. The special counsel's office is part of the Department of Justice, and by regulation, it was bound by that department policy. Charging the president with a crime was therefore not an option we could consider. Not an option that they could consider, but that they would clear the president if they could, but in this case, they couldn't. That, to me, Heather, seems the central point here. Your top-line takeaway from Mueller's uh, remarks today. Well, I agree with that. I think that's exactly, I think that's the reason that he gave that particular statement, was to make that very clear. You know, it's a difficult concept, I think. People don't really, you know, you've kind of got to think it through a little bit about what he's saying, because his, what we know now that we didn't know before, Mm -hmm. was that they started the investigation under the assumption that they would not charge the president. We didn't know that before. It's not like, you know, they were in the middle of it and going, gee, look at what we found. Should we Should we, or shouldn't we? They started off with under that assumption. And by the way, let's mm-hmm. not forget that that entirely contradicts what William Barr has told the American yeah. people, because he said the opposite, that this had nothing to do with why he didn't do it. And in fact, when he was giving testimony before Congress, he was kind of scratching his head going, gee, I don't know why Bob did what he did. Right. Kind of weird, you know. He That's a strange thing for him to do. Well... Mueller makes it clear it was not strange, and, and of course, anybody who's read the report knows that. He had already made that, that clear, but Barr has been muddying the waters from the minute he came in to sort of obscure what Mueller's point was here, right. which was that, look, if we could clear the president, we wanted to do that. We wanted to take that burden off of him because it's not fair to have this all there. But we couldn't clear him on these obstruction charges. And by the way, even though we cleared him on conspiracy, mm-hmm. there's a lot of evidence in there about what colloquially is known as collusion. And right. he did not address that. But he did mention in his statement today that you know it was vitally important that the American people understand what happened there and that this was a 
very serious assault on the American democratic system. And I want to sort of underscore what you said here, because it is very much the opposite of what Bill Barr said. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he said we couldn't do it from the beginning because of this guideline by the DOJ. And Bill Barr said, no, that guideline had nothing to do with it. On March 5th, we specifically asked him about the OLC opinion and whether or not he was taking the position that he would have found a crime but for the existence of the OLC opinion. And he made it very clear several times that that was not his position. He, he was not saying that but for the OLC opinion he would have found a crime. He made it clear that he had not made the determination that there was a crime. Uh, he had not made the determination that there was a crime. That's different from determining that there was not a crime, as Bill Barr seemed to suggest there. Exactly. It's the opposite. And in fact, Mueller in his statement today was very clear. He said, if we had had, and you just played it mm -hmm. earlier, if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. And, you know, what he, what he essentially did, and I think we all knew that. I remember back on April 19th, I wrote a, a column for Salon the day that the, the report came out mm -hmm. saying, it's clear what Mueller was doing. This is an impeachment referral. It seemed obvious to me that that's what he did. And today he reiterated that in his statement when he said that, you know, we, we are, uh, according to the OLC guidelines, we are un unable to indict but it is worthwhile to have the investigation, to look at it, to keep, you know, to get the evidence while it's still fresh in case there is some kind of a prosecution after the fact or in case this, in, this information would be used in a constitutionally, you know, mm -hmm. provided um, process, i.e. impeachment. So, you know, I mean, it was clear from the beginning that, you know, Mueller was saying this is a political decision. The OLC has said we can't do it. The only answer here is to either wait until he's out of office, in which case I'm not going to have something hanging over his head that I thought he'd committed a crime. I'm not going to say that. Mm -hmm. This is now in the hands of politicians. They are the ones who are going to have to make that tough call and say whether or not they think the president, you know, committed a crime. They're going to have to do that, which is fair and right. You know, yeah. it's what they're paid for. Um, and, you know, we can talk about whether or not they're actually uh, earning their money on that one. But, we uh, will. <laughs> but, well, we but anyway, will. that's what he said. He said it's clear that, when, that he was willing to say that no crime had been committed as mm -hmm. far as conspiring directly with the Russians. He said that. He did not clear him on the idea of whether or not Americans might find it a little uh, unethical unprincipled, uh, just plain morally wrong for an, a campaign to welcome the interference of a foreign government, because we never thought to make a law against it before. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, we just didn't think there'd be anybody who'd come along that would do that. So, you know, there isn't a law against it, but it's clear that that's what happened, that the it, president did do that. And then, of course, he tried to cover it up. It does seem that Mueller is... Uh only backing Dems really uh, f uh, further into the corner here when it comes to impeachment. I want to get to that in a second. But he also, Mueller said, quote, beyond these few remarks, it is important that the office's written work speak for itself, suggesting that he did not want to testify to Congress about it. But his report, with all due respect, clearly does not speak for itself, it seems to me, given that both Trump's new fixer, Bill Barr, and uh, the president himself and his various apologists in Congress, etc., have been able to paint the report as if it 
totally exonerates Trump when it expressly does no such thing. Mueller, you know, seemed to make that clear in his usual cryptic-ish way uh, in his statement today. But obviously the report does not make that clear. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so much debate about this. And that's, it seems to me, why Mueller needs to appear before Congress to spell these things out, even if there's stuff that's in the report, because apparently a lot of Republicans haven't bothered to read that report. Well, as far as I can tell, I don't even think Bill Barr read the report. No. Um, granted, I mean, I read it, and it, it's it's uh, you know it's not an exactly an easy read. It's not as hard as you might think, mm-hmm. but you know it's dense, and there's a lot of footnotes, and you really have to be thinking as you're as you're reading. You know, it's not light summer beach right. reading, that's for sure. But I mean, that's part of the problem. You know, yeah. if you're depending upon the American public to understand what happened by reading the report, it's really, that is just not going to happen. And that's why the Democrats have to be a little bit more explicit about laying out this narrative that ex- already exists. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true. There are other investigations out there. There's the taxes. There's Deutsche Bank. There's all kinds of stuff. But the Mueller report does exist, and it needs to be you know, illustrated for the American people. Bob Mueller is among the people. There are others. Uh, Don McGahn, there are witnesses, there are Mm -hmm. all kinds of people who can flesh out what that report says. But Mueller, I think, in the end, I mean, he doesn't want to testify. I understand that. He doesn't want to be seen as a political actor like Ken Starr was, right? I mean, this is, and Ken Starr was a political actor and happy to be that. But, you know, Mueller doesn't want to be that person. But I think so he's saying, look, I'm not going to voluntarily, eagerly rush up to Capitol Hill like, you know, cough, James Comey, cough. Right. Uh, does every chance he gets. You know, he doesn't want to be that guy. But uh, well, if he is subpoenaed, yeah. he will go. Well, yeah, I have I, no doubt. I mean, well, listen, with all due respect, you know, where does Mueller get off? I mean, after this investigation, which cost millions of dollars, though it actually brought back more to the government uh, through a number of prosecutions and settlements and so forth, but uh, cost millions of dollars in, in taxpayer uh, money on something as important as this, where does he think that he can just sort of ride off into the sunset without testifying on this report on you know high crimes and misdemeanors by a president <laughs> of the United States, for crying out he loud? He can't. He can't, and, you know, I don't know if he thinks he can do that, but he can't do that because, look, I think that that the, you know, it's clear to me just from seeing, you know, previous interviews Mm -hmm. with Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and others who are, Mm -hmm. you know, very involved in this particular process, they, they know they have to have Mueller up there. It's a matter of trying to find a way to do it that doesn't, you know, make it so that Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows sit there and bash him over the head for, for hours on end. Yeah. Now, frankly, I think he should be up for that. I think that it's fine if that happens. I, I, I think they should just subpoena him and say, hey, we're going to ask you questions, and if you don't answer him, you know, that's on you. You're going to have to, you know, I mean, he's a, a lawman. He's not. He can't defy subpoenas. He can't take the fifth. Yeah, but I'll tell you, in in in, uh, Nadler's statement, he did not make it sound like he was going to press Mueller uh, for some reason. Uh, Let me. But I think it'll happen anyway. I just, I'll be surprised if we don't see Mueller on Capitol. Let me get there in a second because I want to get your response to. uh, Sorry about this. Trump's tweet in response to Mueller today. He said, uh, "Quote: Nothing changes from the Mueller report. There was insufficient evidence, and therefore, in our country, a person." is innocent. The case is closed. Thank you. 
<laughs> do you wish to respond to that, well, Heather? I you mean, do not have on. to. <laughs> Look, let's just let's just say that it is a little different, right? I mean, normally he claims total exoneration. Now he's saying there was insufficient evidence to get to to uh, you mm. know to fight of a crime. Okay. Well, you know. Again, that's wrong. There's plenty of evidence of a crime. It's all there. There are ten different instances, and there's all this stuff. You know, this stuff right. about you know, about collusion that may not have risen to the level of conspiracy. Um, so that's wrong. But it is a, a you know he he walked back a little bit. I mean, normally he says no collusion, no obstruction, total exoneration, right. whatever. So something about that made the White House kind of go, hmm, you know, insufficient evidence. And by the way, you know, Rudy Giuliani came out too afterwards, and he said, you know, I don't know what's wrong with Bob Mueller, what kind of prosecutor he is. You know, if you decline, you have no, you don't come out and say anything. You just decline to prosecute. And you know, normally that's the truth. You right. wouldn't do that. And in fact, we've seen previous cases where that happened, where in the Scooter Liberty trial, for instance, Pat Fitzgerald, the, mm -hmm. the special prosecutor in that situation, he came out and said afterwards he did not talk about Karl Rove or any of the other people that he'd looked into. He just said, you know, we decline. We're, you know, we're, this is the only thing we came up with, and this is what we're doing, the end goodbye. Left everybody wondering what did they find, you know, what was going. But that's how they normally do. This is different because the president of the United States can't be indicted. Right. So it's obvious that you have a completely different situation. I mean, if you're going to say you can't invest, you can't, you know, indict a president, you can't investigate them, and you can't say anything about what you found, well, that means we have a king for four years anyway, and that he's so powerful he can probably stay in as long as he wants, if that's the case, because you can't, can, you know, you can't investigate him for a crime. I mean, they're even saying if the, these days, if the Congress decides, let's just say the DOJ can't investigate a president, we, mm -hmm. we make that stupid decision, that it's up to the Congress if they're going to impeach. Now they're saying that people don't have to comply with subpoenas. So that means the Congress has no ability to investigate either. I mean, this is the, the sort of theory that they're putting forward, well, that uh, the president is completely above the law. You're right. And, of course, they, they would love that to be the case. But I'm going to stick to your point here where you where you do note that Trump said there was insufficient evidence, right. and, which is just not That's true. Telling, huh? It's uh, <laughs> it is it is telling. Uh, it's not true. It is a softening of his position, but it is not true because Mueller made it clear it wasn't due to insufficient evidence. It was due to this stupid uh, DOJ policy that you can't charge a president. Now he also said Mueller also said that uh, in volume two it explains under the longstanding department policy a president cannot be charged with a federal crime while in office. That is unconstitutional. But that is simply not true. Heather, that uh, that may be the DOJ's view, their departmental guide uh, guidelines, but it is simply not backed up by the Constitution, to my knowledge, or anybody else who I've spoken to on this. And even House Judiciary Chair uh, Nadler said today that he felt the policy was simply wrong. wrong and not supported by the Constitution. Well, it isn't. I mean, basically, there are two opinions out there. One came, and this, you know, there have only been two OLC opinions mm -hmm. in the whole course of the, the, the Burr public. Mm -hmm. The first one was around the, the uh, during the Watergate thing, mm -hmm. uh, uh, scandal. And one of the interesting things about that, and this has just been revealed recently, the reason that they gave that opinion was a sort of a, a negotiate the result of a negotiation to make it so that Spiro Agnew, the vice president at the time, would resign rather than have them go through some kind of a thing. So they said, well, look, if we say we can't uh, indict the president, but we can indict the vice president, that will push him 
to resign. So that OLC opinion came mm. out of some complete left field and really had no bearing. And this is the guy who wrote it. Rachel Maddow revealed this because, you know, she did that mm-hmm. podcast called Bagman, which mm-hmm. was all about uh, the Spiro Agnew case. And she found this out. The guy who wrote the ALC, uh, OLC opinion came out and said this, admitted that that's how it was. So, okay, we go forward with that up until the point where, where they for- did another opinion during the Clinton impeachment. And that was more straightforward, just saying you can't indict a president. They just said, you know, they sort of in keeping with the previous, they yeah. reiterated it. So there's nothing really legitimate backing this up. There is nothing in the, in the Constitution. There's, nothing. It's Not, all... They don't, yeah, we, and and we you know we what we need in the U.S. House is a hearing on this. Can a president be indicted constitutionally, and, and you know put that on TV in the meantime uh, at the uh, U.S. Yeah, House Judiciary Committee? I know, I agree, and I've been uh, trying to press them to do that so far to no avail. All right, before we go to a break here, because I want to come back and ask you about really remarkable responses from uh, Justin Amash, the Republican from Michigan, uh, who is pretty clearly calling for an impeachment inquiry to begin. But uh, I want to get your thoughts on uh, Nadler, since we mentioned him. Uh, He made one of his really strongest statements to date on all of this today, uh, noting repeatedly after Mueller's statement that the president lied time after time during the investigation, that that he has been lying ever since the redacted release of the report of that two-year probe. Here's uh, just the opening of uh, Nadler's remarks. Although Department of Justice policy prevented the special counsel from bringing criminal charges against the president, the special counsel has clearly demonstrated that President Trump is lying. He is lying about the special counsel's findings, lying about the testimony of key witnesses in the special counsel's report, and above all, lying and saying that the special counsel found no obstruction and no collusion. So that was one of Nadler's, I thought, strongest statements on all of this. Uh, Reportedly, he has been in favor of an impeachment inquiry, but Nancy Pelosi has been preventing him. But with a strong statement like that, folks in the media were pressing him, well, why don't you begin impeachment inquiry? He kind of danced around that. He danced around whether he would uh, subpoena Mueller. But with a strong statement like that, I mean, can this go anywhere but to impeachment at this point, Heather? Well, I don't think so. I mean, and I haven't thought so from the very beginning. I just think they're wasting time. You know, an impeachment inquiry is going to take time. It's going to, you know, they need to look at all these hearings and everything that they're doing. They have to do all of that, right? And, And I think it's important to not just look at Mueller. I think they have to look at the Deutsche Bank stuff. They have to look at his taxes. They've got to look at the corruption mm-hmm. within the administration. They've got to look at all the abuse of power that he's done in a, you know, in all these different ways. I mean, that is part of what's happening. They need to lay out the full narrative of what this Trump administration is. And it's not just the Russia stuff. It's all the rest of it that we've seen. That's got to be part of the case, I yep. think. You know, I don't think they can narrow it down, you know. Well, they can get started. I mean, I don't yeah. know what the holdup is. And, and frankly, uh, Justin, Ama- even before the uh, Mueller report came out, you know, we knew with the, the business with the uh, the payouts to Michael Cohen for Stormy Daniels right. and uh, the cover-up payments yeah. after he's been in the White House, that alone would be impeachable under any other presidency. So, you know, I say get started, and so does Justin Amash. Let me take a quick break. Uh, Heather Digby-Parton of Salon and Digby's Hullabaloo. Quick break, and we'll come back with uh, Justin Amash and uh, get your thoughts on whether, frankly, a Republican in the House should be a House manager in the impeachment of Donald J. Trump. 
That's right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Right, right, you're bloody well right You got a bloody right to say Yeah Right Welcome back It's the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com We were speaking with the great Heather Digby Parton about Robert Mueller's first and only statement today as a special prosecutor, uh, now former special prosecutor, announcing the end of his investigation and somewhat cryptically, as he does, explaining why his two-year probe did not bring charges against the president, leaving the many instances of obstruction of justice detailed in his report up to Congress to deal with, to make a determination on since DOJ guidelines prevent the indictment of a sitting president, rightly or wrongly. Meanwhile, conservative Republican Congressman Justin Amash of Michigan, and I always use the word conservative very carefully, and here it actually applies, in my opinion. Amash is an actual conservative, as I see it. He was also elected to the House for the first time during the uh, Tea Party wave election back in 2010. He's an original member of the so-called Conservative Freedom Caucus in the House, though many in that caucus are now furious with him because he has been clear in no uncertain terms that after reading the full redacted Mueller report, he finds... Again, Justin Amash, a Republican, he finds that the president, yes, committed impeachable offenses. He is the only Republican to date in either the House or Senate that I know of to say as much publicly. Uh, And he has now said so repeatedly and clearly in a number of Twitter threads. You should if you don't follow Justin Amash on Twitter, follow him now. Go read his threads. These threads explain his thinking that an an impeachment inquiry should be brought against this president and that the attorney general, Bill Barr, misled on purpose the American public about the report's findings. Amash held his first town hall back in his district on Tuesday night. He received a standing ovation in the otherwise very conservative Grand Rapids, Michigan district. And he had this to say during one of the Q&As that I want to get uh, Heather's thoughts on. Our question is, although we like it's found in the Mueller report that Trump has um, made impeachable offenses, we want to know because the impeachment process can take so long that because of the 2020 election, if impeachment process is worth the time that it takes because um, the election's coming up and it takes it's such a lengthy process. So this is a great question. And it's something that everyone has to wrestle with. Um, and, uh, you know, I wrestled with this issue quite a bit because to me the conduct was obviously impeachable. So then the question is, um, do you then move forward with impeachment proceedings? And my biggest concern, I, I thought about this for a long time. Like I said, I spent a month reviewing, analyzing, thinking about it. And uh, I am concerned that we've gotten to the point where impeachment may never be used in any circumstance. And I think that is a greater risk than the risk that it will be used too often. But I do think that it is 
more dangerous for our country to allow a president to uh, mislead people, make things up. Um, and as an example, in the Mueller report, he asked uh, uh, the White House counsel to create a false record. Um, things like that to, to basically mislead people about a statement he had made. Things like that, uh, to me, uh, reflect uh, incredible dishonesty and, and really uh, harm the office of the presidency. And I don't think that... I don't think that you can just let that stuff go and say, hey, it's no big deal, we're going to have an election in two years and just let it go. I think you have to have proceedings to deter this kind of conduct, even if ultimately the person is not convicted. So, you know, there are a lot of protections here uh, for a president. But we should expect the president to uphold the law, to, to, to have the highest standard more than anyone else more than anyone in our government, we need the president to be ethical, to be of high moral character, and to do the right thing. And uh, I, the, the pattern you find in the Mueller report is of someone who does not meet that standard. That was Republican Justin Amash uh, at his town hall on Tuesday uh, after calling for uh, impeachment of this president, uh, noting there that, by the way, that impeachment may never be used in any circumstance if it's not news now. Well, used now. Well, I disagree with him there. It will be used by a Republican uh, House against a Democratic president. But uh, but that may be it. If Trump is not impeachable, then no Republican president ever will be. Heather Digby, pardon your uh, thoughts on Amash's comments there and on Twitter over the past week or so. Well, first of all, let me just reiterate and endorse what you said about his Twitter feed and what he's saying about impeachment. It's a great thing to read because in very concise language he lays out why the Mueller report is evidence of a need to impeach the president. And, you know, a lot of people, if you can't, don't have time to read the report or whatever, I mean, this is one good way to sort of get an excellent overview in very concise language. And coming from him, I think it does have some credibility because he is a, you know, he is a... (laughs) Uh, a very conservative Republican. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a founding member of the Freedom Caucus, right up there with, yep. you know, Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan and the rest of these guys. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's not somebody who's, you know, from the mushy, you know, I don't know, Bob Corker side or oh, Jeff Flake right. side. This guy's a real hardcore. Yeah, he's kid. the real but deal. unlike all the other Tea Party Republicans that came in in that class, and uh, uh, there were a bunch of them, uh, he actually believed what he was saying. Apparently, the rest of them don't. I mean, all of them, they were talking about the Constitution and talking about how they were going to protect it. And they, this was, it was all, they were waving around the Gadsden flag and the, and the, you know, the, the, their pocket constitutions and talking about it. Remember, I mean, all the yep. Tea Party people, they were, wore white wigs and tricorner hats and, you know, it was all about that. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out they didn't care about that. And, uh, I'm a bit surprised. Um, but Justin Amash actually did. I yeah. mean, for whatever reason, you know, I disagree with him on 90% of, of what he does, but he, I have always agreed with him on one thing, and that is that he has had a strong belief in civil liberties and sort of constitutional principles. And he has been one who challenged the government on, you know, the NSA and on wireless wiretapping, surveillance, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I mean, he's been consistent there. I, so, you know, for he is one person in the Republican Party, I think there used to be more of them, right. who actually had 
principles and actually isn't afraid to come out and, you know, act upon them. He is making, uh, pardon me, an unimpeachable case for impeachment, yeah. uh, it seems to me. Uh, better than any Democrat that I have seen, uh, which raises a question there. Why aren't Democrats being as clear-headed about this as Amash is being? But second, I would be very happy to see him become one of the House managers in a Senate trial against Donald Trump. I think they choose several of them, if I recall, in, in that in that process. Uh, would you be comfortable with that, Heather? Absolutely. I mean, I think I think that that would be fine. I, on these issues, I do not, I think that Amash, he is not playing politics. And let me just add one more thing about Amash that I think is important and maybe more important going forward than, than it is right now with him coming out in, about impeachment. Mm-hmm. The, there is a vacuum being formed in this period where the Democrats are dithering. Um, and in that vacuum, the Republicans are filling it with a counter-narrative about how the Russia hoax may be over, but now we've got to find out how the whole thing started. And mm-hmm. it was all about the FBI and James Comey going after Trump and, mm-hmm. you know, illegitimately starting the investigation. That's what this whole thing is. And in fact, the GOP uh, came out with that as their answer to this Mueller statement that he made today. Oh, well, it's over now. Let's get down to business and find out what really happened. <laughs> Trump has empowered William Barr with the uh, power to declassify anything he wants, and I think he's shown that he has no integrity whatsoever and will probably do be declassifying information, cherry-picking it to make whatever case he decides he wants to make. Um, you've got Lindsey Graham in the Senate also basically selling his soul to the devil and uh, you know, absolutely declaring that he's going to follow up on this, investigation, this counter-investigation as, as well. Let me tell you something. If there's one person in the Congress that you could depend upon to be on that story with everything he has, it is Justin Amash. This is his beat. This is what he cares about. If, the, if he thought, if he read the Mueller report, if he read the evidence mm-hmm. and, and saw that the FBI had gone out of its way to you know, stage a coup against Donald Trump, he would be out there saying it. The fact that he's taken the opposite view, that he's looking at this and sees that investigation as being perfectly legitimate and yep. showing the president to be, um, you know, impeachable, uh, that, that says a lot to me, and it should say a lot to any, if there are any Republicans left in this country who have an ounce of integrity. That should mean something to them. Well said, uh, and I completely agree with you on that point. Uh, and, there's, and, and if the uh, Democrats aren't careful about, you know, filling these vacuums that they are allowing yep. others to fill, as you note, well, uh, Amash is going to fill it, and uh, this could be about a presidential run for uh, Amash on the libertarian ticket, and it's unclear to me at this point who that would would end up hurting more Republicans or Democrats. Yeah, good question. But we will save that point for another day. Heather Digby Parton, I got to get <laughs> out. Uh, always great talking to you. We will do it again soon. You can find her work as ever at salon.com and of course on her great blog, digbysblog.blogspot.com. And you can and should follow her on the Twitters at digby56. Thank you, Heather. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, Brad. You bet. Okay, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doy, and particularly for your flexibility today. Thank (laughs) you. Uh, We had to change everything at the last minute. Uh, And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support what we do every day or try to here on the Bradcast over your public 
Public Airwaves. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we see you again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.